Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One podcast. We're thrilled today to have a draft-centric episode for you where we're talking with one of the minds and workers that we respect most in this industry, somebody who's a self-made man and has really uh, carved out quite a niche for himself online and is now doing it full-time. So a uh, guy who's living the dream of many of us amateur draft scouts, myself included, Raphael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies. Raphael, thank you so much for joining us here. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm glad to uh, be on your show. I've admired your work from afar. I jokingly have this this uh, inner rivalry with you because <laughs> I felt like last year during the draft, nobody put out more videos than me, but you. And there I were think- times where I'm like, dang, he, we, our artwork was similar. And yep. then there are times where, and it's just a competitor in me, and it's all a friendly competition. Cause, no doubt. Um, but there are times where I do a video on a guy, you do a video on a guy, I'm like, dang, his view got 5,000 more views than mine. So <laughs> it, it just makes me like, all right, I got I to do better. So um, so this is going to be fun, And uh, but I, I admire your work and your work ethic, so I'm looking forward to this interview. No, likewise, I appreciate that. I think Canva needs an update or two because we both keep pulling a lot of the same uh, graphics for a lot of our videos and, and intro yep. slides there. So I'm I'm probably going to be the one who switches it up for, for this coming year. Don't worry about that. But uh, I already did. I, I switched it up. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, glad we're at least planning now. But um, mm-hmm. Raphael, I, I think our, our plan today is to hear a little bit more, not just about your journey through basketball and where you've gotten to the exciting place that you are now, but always look backwards and look forward, right? Look at the last Mm -hmm. couple of draft classes that I know we've both covered in in pretty large depth, kind Mm -hmm. of look, see what we've learned from the early results in the NBA, and then look ahead to 2022 with some of the, you know, the early prospects that we have here at this point in the draft cycle. But before we get to that, there's a question we ask all of our guests at the start of a podcast and you're no exception. So Raphael, you're up three with five seconds to go, and it's the other team's ball. Do you foul? What is it that you instruct your team to do? Well, if I'm playing the Warriors, I'm fouling. If I'm playing, I don't know, the Rockets, <laughs> I'm taking my chance. So, I mean, personnel, you definitely have to consider the the personnel. I mean, you got someone like a, you know, Duran or Kyrie or Steph, you know, those guys are – dangerous with the ball in their hands um i i guess just if in a basic answer i would probably foul but i'd have to tell my players to be strategic on when to foul don't foul a you know james harden don't fall for the the rip through so yeah for the most part i would foul gotcha gotcha yeah just make sure that there's no shooting motion right right that's a bang bang call you know with that short amount of time so, uh, yeah, it, it just depends on who it is. And as a coach, we always want to make sure that we take it out of the referee's hands, right? Whatever it is that you instruct your players to do, make sure that there's not a lot of risk involved that would have the referee make a judgment call that goes against you. And I think right. that's where, you know, pretty much all of us are in agreement. There are circumstances, yes and no, and different factors based on who you are, or who you're playing or, or what you have in front of you that you might want to foul and you might not want to, but it's also a lot easier for the players for it to have something be black and white. So to me, it's a, it's a, a launching pad for a unique discussion on the minutia of basketball, but uh, always a revealing answer from everybody we've had on. So, yeah. 
that's that's a good way to start the podcast. A good icebreaker. Just gets our juices flowing a little bit. But speaking yeah. of icebreakers, you've uh, you've certainly broken the ice into this profession a little bit and and moved across continents really and made mm-hmm. a, a huge change with your lifestyle. Please fill us all in here. You know, where are you at right now? Take us through your journey and, and how's the adjustment to living in Europe been for you? So yeah, I'm in Barcelona, Spain right now. It is 11.42 p.m. And, and so the, the time adjustment has been an adjustment, but um, this has been a great journey. I kind of made a, a niche for myself knowing the international prospects. And um, I thought it was just like a, a different lane for me. And then I, I knew that in order for me to really become an expert at this, I would need to take the gamble and the risk and, and pack up my things and, and move to Europe. I chose Barcelona because, I mean, it's a beautiful city. <laughs> so I, I have been here once before and I always just fell in love with it. Even though the time I came here, it was raining, but it was just something about Barcelona that attracted me to the city. And um, so, yeah, I chose Barcelona simply because Spain has the, at least in my opinion, the best group of young prospects as far as country. I mean, it's between Spain and France. Um, Barcelona is a little bit cheaper than Paris. The weather's a lot better than, than Paris. I live in Texas. My wife is a Texas girl. She was born and raised in Texas. And so... I knew if we were to be based in Paris, she'd have to really adjust to the cold and yep. and just, you know, buying a whole new wardrobe in a sense. Even though Barcelona has been a lot colder than I thought. Well, I should say it's not necessarily cold, but, you know, in America, we if it's cold, we usually just get in our cars and, and park. And then, you know, we're only outside from the second from our car to where we're going to. Here we've done a lot of walking and catching trains and all that. So, um it's been a little bit chillier than I thought, but yeah, I mean, this process has been good. I mean, I, I like Spain so far and um, I'm just looking for, I've been here tomorrow with Mark two weeks. So I'm still fairly new, still kind of learning the train system, but it's been a great experience so far. Well, we envy you with, with the jump, the leap of faith that you've made in yourself. Again, you've earned it. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you talk about the friendly rivalry between us and kind of that inherent way where we're both competitors with things like there's, there's no doubt about it. You've earned this and you've been doing this a lot longer than I have and, and really uh, salute you for making the leap out there. Thanks. Yeah, man. Like I said, it's it's also I mean, it, it's just a different way of basketball, a different life. It's so foreign in a sense. And I, I mean, I've lived over in Europe before I lived in Turkey, but here it's different because it just makes scouting. And I guess I keep using the word different, you know, here. You know, you're watching these guys and like for like right now I'm watching fourth division basketball. Barcelona's second team is playing in fourth division. So their team is all guys that are born in 2003, 2004. But they're playing against grown men. Like I went to a game yesterday. The average age on this team was 28. But these guys that they're playing against would not even be close to pros in the States. These would be like rec league guys <laughs> so not even nia niaa basketball and naia sorry i just had a tongue twister there so it's like man you're trying to judge these 17 and 18 year olds against these grown men that would not be considered pros in the states then you're trying to like 
say, all right, well, this kid can't do that. But then you think like, well, man, if you were in the States, he'd be a sophomore. That part has been a little bit um, difficult to, to judge as far as the talent. But I mean, other than that, I mean, everything has been great. Well, that's an unbelievable test of your eye as a scout, too, because I think anytime it's easy to say, hey, this is the best competition that a player can face at their age level. If they succeed here, it's pretty easy to see them succeeding at the next level and how that translates. But now you have to look for all those skills and micro skills and smart ways that they play. Do they elevate those around them? You know, all of those little things really come to the surface. Yeah, because, for example, um, with the. I guess the FIBA World Cup going on now, Barcelona, the senior team has a few guys that are playing with their, with their teams in the qualifiers. So there was a game where they played Zalgiris, the, the, the senior team, they played Zalgiris um, Friday night. And so Barcelona has the, they're tied for the best record in the EuroLeague. So they had to have like three or four of their young guys play at the end of the game because it was a blowout. So I'm watching them on Friday night playing garbage minutes in a EuroLeague game. And then the next night I'm watching them play guys that look like they smoke cigarettes at halftime. <laughs> and it's such a huge contrast because the EuroLeague is the, the, the second best league outside of the NBA in, in the world. And you're watching guys playing there. Then the next day you're watching them playing against guys that couldn't beat some high school teams. So it's, it's, uh, it's an adjustment, but I'm, I'm loving the challenge of it now. Good. Uh, as long as you're happy and it's been a positive move for you, again, that's really all that, that matters through this process. And, and look, Rafael, we've been doing this long enough, and particularly you, got a couple of years on me in that regard, that we kind of learn trends and philosophy as we go, right? You learn mm-hmm. from what you've seen in the past, some of the mistakes you've made or the things that you've gotten right, and you learn to adjust and you know, become better as an evaluator as a result. So I'm going to just ask you a couple really quick general questions about scouting and, and, and want to hear a little bit on your thoughts as to where you land on this right now. So first and foremost, what is something that, that you see in a prospect at times that is the biggest sign of success that, that they can show to translate to higher levels of basketball? That's a good question. And I think my answer would have been different if you would have proposed this question to me a few years ago. I mean, one of the things that stand out, of course, is like the positional size. They have to have, you know, the ideal positional size. One of the things I look for now is like, do they have that competitive fire and um, how hard they play? So that's one of the things I look for now. But then even then sometimes like, you know, Tim Duncan would be somebody, if you watched him play, You'd say, does he have this competitive fire because he's not very expressive right. in what he does? And you wouldn't watch Tim Duncan and say, wow, that guy has like an awesome motor, you know, <laughs> but, you know, he was I mean, he was arguably the best at, at what he does. So um, and then there's times where you can over evaluate a guy because they just play hard, like, you know like a Tyler Hansborough or something like that. Michael Gilchrist, yeah. Yeah, yep. So I I try to look at the positional size and what role do I think this particular player would play in the NBA? If it's, you know, like say if it's like a 6'2", 
shooting guard that I just fall in love with because he gets buckets and he scores. And then you have to think like, all right, man, is that really going to translate? So I think of guys like, I like Shamari Pons. I liked him a lot, but his game, you can't say it doesn't translate or even Alonzo Trier. Alonzo Trier is one of my favorite players to watch from a couple years ago. And I don't know if it's all basketball related. I don't even know where he's at right now, but um, so that's one of the things like how does this guy's game fit and is he going to be able to complement a max player so those are the two things that that I look for the most sure and what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned as a scout over the last few years honestly the biggest lesson that I've learned is sometimes I'm right about it sometimes I'm wrong is just trust your gut I think it happens I'm sure it's happened to you where you see a guy and you read on the hype that everybody else likes him. You watch you film and then you have your opinion on him. And then you start to sway towards what the masses are saying. And then you find out like, man, I was right all along. And so that was one of the things that, um, that I've learned is that just trust your gut. Sometimes you're going to be wrong, but don't let the masses fool you into thinking that I don't know because a lot of people are just following the leader yep so trust your gut yeah and I, I think that uh for for both of us a little bit more like we've probably emerged more so to the leader side than the follower side over the last year or so and not to say that we're still you know I'm not Mike Schmitz or anything and, and creating consensus in a lot of those ways but it becomes a lot easier to have trust in your gut when you know there's following behind you, but you got to use that very responsibly too. Um, yep. You know, it's, it's always a push pull there. And, and, you know, last ph philosophy question I'll ask you, because it's something that I always try to go back and forth on is how to best use my time as a scout. Do I need to be watching game film on college and international prospects just with a hundred percent of my time? Or is it important for me to try to keep up with what's going on in the NBA? Because if we're trying to project these players for what succeeds in the NBA, it would be really wise for us to know what's going on, what trends are important in the NBA right now, what impacts winning, where's the league headed? So how much NBA do you watch as opposed to game tape or, or the players that you're actually scouting that are pre-draft? Well, you know what? My answer would have been different two weeks ago. <laughs> so, um, if I were in the States, I'd watch NBA games and then I'd watch college film in the morning or try to, to watch film. Because sometimes college basketball is hard to watch, you know, sometimes, I mean, especially with the lack of spacing a lot of times and then the parody especially early in the season you know you, you are you know every once in a while you get a Gonzaga Duke you get you know a, a matchup of you know in some of these classics but then you get a lot of these games against directional schools and you get blowouts so at least in the NBA I try to watch that uh, more but since I've been here <laughs> I think the only NBA game I've seen since I've arrived here in Spain was the fourth quarter of the Lakers Kings game a couple of days ago I was only up to watch that game because I set my alarm for 4 30 to watch the Gonzaga Duke game and then 
by seven o'clock, I was wide awake after watching that game. And then I, I turned to the, to the Kings game, the Kings Lakers game. So I haven't really watched them. I'm a little behind. I usually know everything that's going on in the NBA, but I mean, even like my fantasy team is suffering because I didn't know certain guys are out. So I got to figure out a way to try to, to balance it because I feel like it can be a little overwhelming from trying to watch the NBA, trying to watch all these college games. And then I'm trying to watch the games here in, in Europe. So, um, but yeah, I definitely think you do have to pay attention to the trends in the NBA. You have to pay attention to certain guys that have had success. Mm-hmm. And if there's someone that's similar, then they could possibly have, you know, a, a similar success. But even then that can be tough because, you know, every once in a while you may get a, a Nikola Jokic <laughs> who there's nothing like him that you can compare to. And then you start to tear him apart. Like, okay, well, this guy can't jump. He's not this and that. And you spend too much time focusing on athleticism and, and, and not paying attention to what he does well, which is kind of why, you know, I think Drew Timmy is such a divisive prospect Mm -hmm. because everyone starts to focus on what they think that he doesn't do as opposed to what he can do. And I'm not here to, you know, sell anybody either way. But we'll, that's what we'll talk about, Timmy, uh, for sure. That because okay. we got a good Gonzaga segment coming up here. But uh, no, I, I think that that's the, the biggest thing that I struggle with is just how much NBA versus how much college. Am I looking forward? Am I looking at the present? How how much can I continue to learn from it? Yep. So. Yeah, and then you know, it's also can be tough to separate like certain things that you like in a player. Like I love guys that post up. Like I. I enjoy watching Bancaro bang in the post. I enjoy watching when Gonzaga runs ISOs for Timmy on the block and they just get out the way, knowing that in the NBA you're not going to see that. Sure. So, um, I mean, like I saw them, Lakers were running ISOs with LeBron on the block and everybody was clearing out. And I'm like, man, we don't really see that anymore. It's usually just late in the shot clock, throw it to your guard, spread out, get a screen and you have a bunch of guys that are just complimentary guys that are just standing there waiting to catch and shoot. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it is tough to balance all of them. It is. It is. Well, as I, we mentioned there, the balance between looking forward and looking in the present, but what I Mm -hmm. want to do right now is just take a couple minutes to talk about the present. Those guys that were drafted in 2020 or 2021, which as we're recording this year, late November, I mean, it's been literally about a year since the 2020 NBA draft. So we've gotten two draft classes that are still really in their first calendar year of NBA basketball, which is, <laughs> it's insane to think about because, man, that 2020 draft class just seems like it went on forever. But at this I point, over-evaluated. I over-evaluated. I spent too much time over-evaluating everybody, guys. Everybody did it. And there was, quite frankly, nothing else to do. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's where we're at right now. And, and I think having, you know, whether it's 75 games, 80 games from some of those guys or the first 15 to 20 of the 2021 rookies, what are some of the, the biggest things that have stood out to you? I mean, is there one prospect or player that has found success earlier in their career that would be a surprise to you when you were going through the pre-draft process? Uh, yeah. And it's probably the biggest mistake. And I was so vocal about it too, is I thought Killian Hayes was going to be really good. I thought that I was on record of saying that I thought Killian was better than LaMelo Ball. 
And I mean, it looks like, I mean, a huge, huge mistake to the point where I tweeted that, I mean, I jokingly tweeted, Father, forgive me for thinking that uh, uh, Killian Hayes was better than LaMelo Ball. And then uh, I realized that Killian's agent had uh, unfollowed me after that comment. And then show you how small the world is i ran into him in paris a couple of days afterwards so but uh yeah i i really thought like you know i, I thought they were similar um i thought that Lamelo was just a little cool too lackadaisical i thought that killian was on the rise because he had such a jump from um where he was at prior to going to was it germany um with the team in germany I thought that um, he was just a, you know, a consistent jump shot away from being able to at least, I thought he could at least be like a D'Angelo Russell type player, not someone that has great speed or puts a lot of pressure on defense, but I just, I thought the shot creation was going to be there. I mean, he's a phenomenal passer. Like he, he does have good vision, um, a little left-hand dominant. But I thought LaMelo was going to be very inefficient. Um, I didn't buy into his shot. Um, I just felt, I mean, I'm glad I'm not the only one because the guys at the ringer, <laughs> had yep. The, yep. they were very high on Killian too. But one of the things that, I mean, I guess you can see it a little bit on film, but I think the difference, like the big difference between the two is LaMelo has like this elite level of self-confidence. Or Killian does not have that same confidence. So, you know, you always hear the saying that basketball is 90% mental. And LaMelo's confidence is, in my opinion, just the biggest difference between the two. He is so confident in himself. And usually that comes along with being like the younger brother of, you know, in a basketball family. Um, but everything that his dad did, whether you like LaVar or not, I know one of the things that he mentioned that he wanted his kids to be creative and he wanted them to play fast. So they had quick decision-making and he wanted them to not be afraid to try things. And, you know, for LaMelo that has just, I mean, he's just not afraid. I mean, he he'll throw an underhand scoop pass 90 feet. He'll try different things. And even if he like fails, his facial expression is still the same. He's still super confident. So um, yeah, the LaMelo Killian, <laughs> I don't even call it a, a debate at this point, but that's what was the biggest mistake. One of the biggest things that I, that I, I learned is that sometimes the intangibles are the, are the difference between yeah. the, you know, player A and player B. Well, you're not the only one on this call right now that had Killian over LaMelo. Uh, okay, I don't feel bad. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that was a lot of the same mistake that I made too. And it was a little bit under appreciation of LaMelo and kind of how special his feel was or how projectable the jumper might become because that's, to me, the biggest part of LaMelo's game is do you have to guard him at, at or above the three-point line? And he's he's been solid there. Yep. Um, and then Killian, just on a, I think I – thought the first step was a little bit better than it currently is. And that's one of those lessons that you learn from scouting international competition or trying to see how things translate. He's not as shifty or creative with his dribble and off the bounce, similar to what you said with the D'Angelo Russell comparison, but now it's, it's so severely handicapped as a lead guard in the NBA 
that he almost has to shift shift to an off ball role. And yep. become, I just you know finished an article about a week or two ago on him transitioning from more of a Lamelo type to a Lonzo type, where he might have to be this off ball connector who still has great passing ability, but it's his defense, how he moves the ball, and how he makes quick decisions as well as knockdown shots. That's the key to his success in the future. Yeah, and I think at least for me. I underestimated how strong the Australian league is. I mean, I think yeah. Giddy has shown that um, he's better than a lot of people thought. And now one thing I, 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 I corrected my mistake, I was high on Giddy. And I felt like Giddy's numbers in Australia were very similar to, to LaMelo's. And I think Giddy has proven that Australia is going to be, um, you know, that it, it's a tougher league. I think we just kind of underestimated. We thought the leagues in Europe were better which uh, I think is going to be big for Hugo Besson and Ushman Jang if they continue to play like they played in their, their game last week, that, our, you know, the NBL is a pretty respectable league. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I think I've learned those, those same lessons too. And, and Rafael, we're, we're going to flip that on its lens now. That's one area where I think both of us said, man, I wish I had gotten this one right in terms of I just didn't see, I just didn't see that success coming for LaMelo or I overhyped Killian. What's one that you got right? What's one player that you feel really confident in saying, I knew he was going to be good. And now that he's at the NBA level, he's succeeding. Cause for me, it's Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Like that mm-hmm. was one guy who was just kind of the glue factor compared him to a, a career long Jared Dudley. Like he's just going to always find a spot on a roster, be very, very solid, knock down shots, defend, do whatever he has to. And is the glue that keeps things together. Who's one guy that you want to pat yourself on the back for? I'd have to say, Benton, Delano Benton, mm, nice. and um, I, I, he was one of the first guys I did a video on. I was like, you don't see guys with this skill set. It's like his his size, his ball handling, his passing ability. And one of the funny things about when I did a video on him, and I'm from Nebraska, born and raised, so I'm a little biased or, you know, kind of rooting for the, the Huskers. And um, so I was out early on him. And then I I think I made the comment in my video, whatever it was, it ended up kind of going viral was I was like, this is a guy that I could see him going to the Raptors and they turn him into a player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so far, uh, I hit the nail on the head there. I thought he had a good summer league. And I think that he's someone that is going to have a long career. And if he can just get the shot down, and, and knock down open shots, then I think that he has a chance to be a, a high-level rotation player due to his versatility. I thought he could end up being like a Sean Livingston, like the Sean Livingston role that he played with um, with, with Golden State. And uh, so that that one was – I mean, it's not a major find, but I think it's uh, – I guess it's harder to get a second-round pick or undrafted guy that you predict that turns into a rotation player than – you know, a lottery pick that ends up being an all-star. So that was one that I, I definitely uh, am proud of. Good. Good. There you go. Well, as we have mentioned a little bit, we're learning constantly. We're trying to take our evaluations, look back and see what we got right, what we got wrong, try to learn from it and apply those lessons to where we're at now. And I think that's the segue to move into this 2022 NBA draft class. So first and foremost, you mentioned the Duke and Zaga game. Mm-hmm. That was, as we're recording this, a little less than 48 hours ago. But it also was probably one of the best games of the year that we're going to be able to see talent-wise from a, an evaluation perspective 
And what I appreciate is it's not going to be the first time we see either team go against major level competition or athleticism. Gonzaga already had a huge contest against Texas and Duke opened with Kentucky. So we had a little bit of a premonition coming in about what we thought each team might be able to do against that type of size, competition, skill level, et cetera. I'm just going to throw the, the microphone over to you and open it up. Rafael, what were your major takeaways from the Duke and Zaga game? Who impressed you? What did you notice that you might not have noticed before? Just give us the lowdown. Yeah, I mean, Bancaro was awesome <laughs> in the first yeah. half. That was one of the best first halves I've seen in, in a while. I mean, I, you can say it was the best first half I've seen since Timmy against Texas <laughs> a few weeks prior. Um, but, no, I mean, I, I thought he was on pace for 40 points. And, you know, 40 points in a college game is, is, is pretty unheard of. I mean, he just looked like, you know, just head and shoulders above everybody else. He was knocking down shots. If there was a concern I had, it was his shot. And, I mean, he was letting them fly confidently. There was one play where he he missed a shot, but he pulled up and shot a three in transition. I was like, he's must be feeling it the way he confidently shot that. And then he ended up knocking down two threes after that. I mean, he was – I mean, there was another play that stood out where he got a rebound and just – turned that into a, you know, he went downhill, made a play. So I was really, really impressed. But now I have some concerns about the cramping because it's like his second game cramping, cramping up. You know, you start to wonder, like, is he dehydrated? Is it something that's, you know, is it big games? Because it only happened in those those two big games. So, I mean, it's a minor concern, but um, – I thought he looked good. I think Wendell Moore has played himself into a really good draft selection this year. And, it, I mean, Wendell Moore is a guy that, you know, I remember two years ago, people thought he was going to be a one-and-done. And then, you know, like, if you're not a one-and-done, people just kind of start to write you off. And I think that he's just kind of made a name for himself as this connective tissue. He's athletic. He's knocking down shots. He's defending. He's averaging about five assists per game. He's filling up the stat sheet. So I thought he played well. I'm not as high on kills as a lot of people. I'm right there with you. And yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Like I think more his progression to really embracing the role that he's going to need to be playing to be successful. This is the first time that we're seeing that with this Duke team. I think he kept trying to be the always high flying athlete and the guy that just you know, that he was in high school and, and it didn't mm -hmm. necessarily work for him. He was inefficient in a lot of ways and had trouble finding his spots. And now he's able to embrace doing a little bit of everything and just being that connective tissue, like you said, and that, and that's paying off for him. I think Keels is going to have a lot of the similar type of adjustment where right now he's just physically bodying guys because he's so strong and, and physically ready for that level. But when it comes down to skill and you know, he's not going to be able to do that against every single guy he goes against in the NBA. He's probably going to have to make that similar type of adjustment. So I'm with you. I'm not 100% in on Keels yet. He's climbing up my board and kind of where he was heading into the season. But it's um, I'm still skeptical. Yeah, I mean, he's he's going to have to really become a knockdown shooter because yeah. he really struggles at finishing at the rim. I mean, he's a below-the-rim finisher. You can see he can get there because he can bully his way there, but it's like he has no pop or lift, and he's – I 
I mean, I think coming into the game, Synergy had him at like 29% finishing at the rim. And, and so, and I mean, <laughs> I mean, you could say maybe it'd be better with NBA spacing the floor be spread. But I, I think defensively and as a ball mover, he has a chance. But, you know, uh, I've seen a lot of the comparisons to Lugans Dort. Mm-hmm. But Dort was a better scorer to me at, at Arizona State. And he smartly accepted the role as a defender and then has allowed his offense to open up. But um, Kills, to me, is not the same level of athlete as, as Dort. Yeah, well, one of the guys who who I really took away being impressed with from that game was Mark Williams of Duke. Yeah. Really energetic big man. I think he does all of the the little things that you would ask him to do. And, and you know, you talked early on about loving intangible guys and those who play with competitiveness, passion, fire. And he's definitely one of those guys because of how much he impacts the game on the defensive end and then just how fast he takes off in transition. And yeah. That's something to me, his, his rim running ability and how he transitions from end to end is really, really attractive. Um, you know, if you're not going to be a stretch big in today's NBA, you have to be able to be great as a rim protector and just play with, with boundless energy. And that's something that he definitely does. I was talking with Matt Penny and Sam Vecini about that earlier the, these last couple of days of he was the one guy that really left me really, really impressed and maybe thinking that. Okay, I'm typically lower on bigs when it comes to setting my draft board. If they're not an elite level guy, I always think I can get them later parts of the first round or early second and be completely comfortable. But he may be that one guy that kind of challenges or pushes that that notion for me this year. Yeah, I mean, if he can play at that same level of intensity and energy throughout the season, I mean, I know he always has a good motor but it was up a notch for this particular game. If he can carry that throughout the season, then he's someone that is definitely going to be climbing up a lot of, a lot of draft boards. Um, He also had a play where he knocked down like a nice little jump hook that shows that he, you know, he may have a a soft touch around the rim and he may have a little bit more to his game than just running, jumping and, and being a rim protector. But overall, I think he helped his stock. Yeah. A lot. I mean, he had the, you know, arguably, arguably the play of the game where, where he intimidated Timmy and, and, uh, and I love the competitive fire, which is a word that I used earlier, but the play before Timmy schooled him mm-hmm. and Gonzaga went right back to him, which, you know, rightfully so. And he ended up making the, the big play there. And, and so, I mean, I, like I said, I thought that helped him out a lot, but yeah, if you can continue that type of, energy then you know he, he may hear his name called in the first round no doubt no doubt all right let's shift to Gonzaga a little bit Chet Holmgren I think not necessarily an up and down start to things but his offense comes and goes it's not always going to be the most dominant on every single night but if there's one thing you can say about Chet it's that he is a skinny dude that loves contact and that's something that makes me really happy because I'm a skinny dude who shies away from contact so I'm very <laughs> envious of a guy like him what's your take on Chet right now is he one of those top tier guys for you right now like I know Ben Carroll has played himself into a great role how does Chet line up with him at top of draft board yeah I mean I have him one too yeah and uh yeah I I like Chet I mean he's a label that I have in my notes as kind of skinny tough like I had that same label as Brandon Ingram I thought when Ingram was at Duke he was like 170 pounds but he was trying to rebound he was 
not afraid of contact. And that is Chet. Chet is, I mean, he does get pushed around. Sometimes he gets boxed out under the rim, but he's, he's mentally tough. And, you know, I think that because he has so much hype around him that the expectations were kind of hard to live up to. And right now he's playing a complimentary role, mm-hmm. which, you know, you can make a case and say, Timmy is the best player in college basketball, maybe not the best NBA prospect. So Chet is, uh, I, I think he's played well. I mean, he's been crazy efficient <laughs> playing a complimentary role, but I, I definitely think that some people are going to want to see more out of him. And the times where he was aggressive, I was, I was impressed. Like there's one play that comes to mind where he got the ball in the right block. And I think he had Williams on him and couldn't beat him off the dribble, but he shot like this Dirk kind of like a step yeah. back, yeah. which I mean, that's impossible to guard. And even though he doesn't have the strength to do anything in the post, he has the skill set to face up. And I think that's going to be his his bread and butter in, in the NBA. And then I think, like, as well as Porzingis has played the last, you know, what, two weeks since he's been back has to help Chet out. I mean, they, you know, that's probably the best comparison and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I like him a lot. I mean, I, I just don't think we're going to see him have a major role where he's getting up 15 or 20 shots per game. But defensively, he's a monster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's altering shots. He's changing, you know, the the angles that guards. He's making them change their mind as far as attacking. And then even like there were plays where I felt like Duke did a good job of changing it. But there were a few plays where they had – Williams had the ball at the top of the key and it allowed Chet to sit in the paint. And once he was sitting in the paint with his length and it, it, I mean, it just kind of killed Duke's offense. So they stopped running whatever little set they had where Williams was at the top of the key with the ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, like I said, right now, based off of this last game, I have Ben Carroll one. I still would take Chet number two. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I put Jaden Hardy in that top tier for me. I know that you think cool. so. He's yeah. been, 31% from the floor. I, I, I'm right there with you. And I'm not saying I'm not the first guy who's, you know, getting the red flag out, ready to wave it around. But I always want to be a little bit more patient with guys who are jump shooting prospects and the start that they have, because a cold start can unfairly kind of color where you're at with things. So I, it's kind of the small sample size. I want to continue to give it more time. I also feel for a guy who's playing on a pretty bad G League Ignite team right now. Uh, that hasn't played up to standards. So I'm just trying to find ways to remain patient on Hardy. Mm-hmm. But um, initially, college basketball-wise, Ben Caro and Chet are are one-two for me as well. And, and Chet is really going to push the envelope for me as an evaluation because when I look at, at offense, I asked you earlier, what's the, the standout skill or the one thing that you think translates to success? For me, it's first step. And it's on both ends. Can you guard somebody's first step if you're defending the perimeter? Can you have a quick enough first step to get past somebody? Because that unlocks everything offensively. Are you a good passer? Are you a good finisher? You need to have a first step in order to do either. So with Chet, obviously a long first stride, but not necessarily a quick first step. And I'm not sure how I feel about him as a versatile shooting prospect right now. Definitely has good touch, but I don't know if he's going to be used in you know, pick and pop, spot up, off the dribble. How how much really is there in his bag 
that would make me feel comfortable with him. And, and the, the growth that I've had over the last two years is really finding ways to push any of those aside and say, this is a guy with tremendous feel who's just a winning basketball player and makes positive things happen when he's on the floor. Let's value that and not concern myself too much with the nitty gritty, the mechanics, the does it check all of these boxes on paper? Yeah. I mean, I think even if he had a lightning quick first step like Jalen Green, his lack of weight, one bump and it detours his path. And we've seen Jalen Green struggle with that. Like his first step is on another level, but he can't take the contact. And that turns a straight line drive, you know, like to like a banana cut in, in a sense. So, um, I mean, we all know that Chet is going to need to put on weight and but the question the biggest question is how much can he put on his frame um but i think as a pick and pop guy i mean even though the shooting i think he was like 0 for 3 that the, the game against duke but i think the shooting should translate and i think he's coordinated enough to where he can attack poor closeouts and then he's a good passer so i think that he's he you can even use him in like the I mean, there's a couple of plays where they where they did it, or what was it? Was it Timmy? Where it's kind of like he was the role man, and then he kind of had the short role, but he was able to make plays in in the middle of the floor. So I, I'm I'm high on Chet. I'm I, like I said, I wouldn't have him go past number two. Gotcha. Yeah, he's he's five of sixteen from three right now. Only a couple of games against small sample size. Nothing to really uh, get too worked up about in either direction, but just definitely something to monitor in, in that regard. So. When we're looking at this class as a whole, is there anything that stands out to you as being super strong or super weak when we get past that top tier of guys? Like for me, I'm not enthralled by the lead guards that are in this class. I just don't think there's a lot of them that are typically lottery and the talents. I don't know if that's something you agree with or if you have a different yeah. perspective you want to bring to the table. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, the best guard, I mean, the first guard taken is going to be Jaden Ivey. But the guys that are projected to go after that have some concerns or question marks. Um, I mean, it's still early. You never know who's going to emerge. You never know which Kentucky guy <laughs> comes out of nowhere in SEC play and then ends up being a whole lot better. I mean, it just seems every year there's a Kentucky guy that ends up being a better pro than he was a college player. And so I think that kind of makes scouting Kentucky guys tough because you're like, all right, Hero and Gilgis Alexander have outplayed their draft position. They were still drafted pretty high. Um, I don't know if Ty Ty Washington is that guy, but you have to factor in that, you know, that that can possibly happen at Kentucky. Um, I think like right now, I'd say most people's top five at least we know three of the top five for sure, which is um, Jabari Smith and, and you know, Chet and Ben Carroll. Some may have uh, Hardy up there. Some may have Ivy as a top five pick. But then after that, I don't know. I mean, so Yannick Sosa was a guy that a lot of people had top five early. He's definitely hasn't done enough to maintain that position. I mean, he's had some injuries, but I mean, he's really struggling there. It's, it's wide open. It's it very wide open at this point. I mean, like I said, it's still early, but. Well, and I think we spoiled ourselves last year with how much top tier talent there really was in that 2021 NBA draft. And, and it's, mm -hmm. it's abnormal. 
and a lot of young players producing from the last two draft classes are, um, you know, certainly going to spoil a lot of people and think that that's what we should be getting in this year's draft class. I think that, yeah, there's probably a top three or four emerging with those guys and Jabari Smith, just a little bit lower for me on uh, he's fourth right now on my board, but just more cautious about moving him up very quickly. Um, you know, what I would love to do now is just go rapid fire with okay. a, a couple prospects. And, and you mentioned the first one that we had on our list here, Yannick Zosa, somebody that I know you were pretty high on. Talk to us about him a little bit. What's going on. Just give us some, some quick thoughts here. Funny story. So I was at a wedding in Houston a few months back and uh, I, my friend was there. So I said, man, have you found out where you're going? He's like, I literally just got a text from my agent. And so uh, I'm like, okay, where are you going? He says, man, I'm going to Malaga. I said, that's the same team as Sosa. I was like, y'all play the same exact position. And he was like, yeah. I was like, I mean, do you think y'all play together? He's like, I don't know. And so I'm thinking like, I mean, this is Europe. It's Spain. They're not going to give developmental minutes out. You're going to have to earn them. And so I was like, you're going to kill that man's draft stock. And he just kind of laughed, which I think he has. I mean, I don't know if. Sosa was expected to start, but um, he just hasn't been given the minutes. I mean, he shows his flashes, and we all know that he was a little raw. But, I mean, between injury and Michael Eric getting the majority of the minutes, we just have not seen what was expected out of him. So um, we'll see how that, you know, impacts his draft stacks. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, J.D. Davison, Alabama. Coming off the bench which, uh, you know, so much pressure on, on kids now. If you come in with a lot of hype, everybody's expecting you to be one and done. And, um, you know, the numbers aren't there. He's shown some flashes. He's actually a better passer than I thought. I was kind of under the mindset that he's just a guy that is wired to score and he's going to be maybe like a Colin Sexton type. I know it's a lazy comparison because they're both, you know, at, at Alabama. But I thought I think that he's played his role well. He's adjusted to it. And um, but yeah, other than him being a, a better passer than I thought, I mean, I, I like the first step. I like the speed and all that. But it's just going to be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out for him. Yeah, I've been a, a big J.D. Davidson fan. He's actually impressed me a lot in his, his time here at Alabama. Uh, mm -hmm. Speaking of coming off the bench, though, Peyton Watson. Yeah, the, the early returns aren't good. No. And even with the – what game was it? Was it the Gonzaga game? It was a game I watched where you can tell, like, it's starting to wear on him with his body language. I think there was a play where he came in and uh, got pulled out after a couple of possessions, made a couple of bad def play plays on defense. And then I was trying to – that's one of the things, if you're on – if you're on T, if you're watching on TV, you can't really follow the body language as you can when you're watching it in person. But I was able to catch him like with an assistant coach. And it's like you can tell that he's just kind of struggling. On one hand, I don't feel bad. I mean, it's probably not the correct choice of words, because I think, you know, college is the one situation where you have total control of where you're going. Yeah. You know, in the NBA, you don't know who's going to draft you unless you're a free agent. And I mean, I just wonder, like, what did he think? Did he think that he was going to come in and start? And, you know, I mean, this team that went to the final four and they returned pretty much all their wing players. So, I mean, it's going to be tough for him. One thing I just 
you know, I'm starting to see the rumors that, oh, man, he may be in the transfer portal. He may be unhappy, yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, just embrace the competition. Embrace your role. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think I had a done? I mean, should he be based off of, you know, what we're seeing? No, but I didn't think Zaire Williams should have been either. And he got selected in the lottery despite having terrible numbers. I mean, the, the question I had about Watson going into the season is what role can he play if he's not the point guard? I think he's best with the ball in his hands. He doesn't shoot it well enough to not have the ball. And I mean, he really hasn't had the ball in his hands. So honestly, his struggles aren't totally surprising to me. Yeah, bingo. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I still have Watson as a lottery pick, but because I see the kind of translation of the NBA in a better system, that's something that's catered to him, really allowing his game to pop. But as I always say, if rebounding is the best trait that you have, that's either a really, really good thing or a really, really bad thing. And yeah. right now it's probably not super positive for him. Um, yeah. And he's probably, you know, he could be this year's Zaire Williams where, you know, you start to see, oh, he's going to go to impact in Vegas. All oh, his stock is going up and then he's going to, I know he's going to perform well, especially in the agent guided workout. They're going to showcase his athleticism and, and, and so on. But I'm big on going off of what I see. And so far, what I see isn't, I mean, it's, it doesn't warrant a lottery pick. Sure. All right. Well, there's one guy here next that you mentioned earlier, but a guy I actually coached against when he was in high school, Jaden Ivy at Purdue. Love him. Love him. You know, I actually made a comparison that I haven't seen anybody make. He may have some Russell Westbrook in his game. The John Morant comparisons are because they physically may look alike. But, you know, I think Westbrook played two years at UCLA. Nobody thought he was a point. And people still question whether or not he's a point guard or not. But just the fire, intensity, athleticism. I mean, I don't think anybody would ever mistake Westbrook as like this great passer with great vision. But he piles up eight, nine, 10 assists a game just because he gets into the paint and he is able to make simple drive and kick reads. I think Ivy could end up being a Russell Westbrook type player. Maybe not like Hall of Fame, triple-double, but he rebounds. Like he, like he doesn't get rebounds that come to him. He goes and gets rebounds. I think that whether you like Westbrook or not, he kind of brings the level of play up for everybody because you have to keep up with him. You have to match his, his drive and, and how hard he plays. So I think Ivy has some Westbrook in this game. I wouldn't be surprised in, you know, maybe two to three years, a team decides, you know, we're going to make you the point guard. We're going to make you the lead guard because no, you may not be traditional, but you put so much pressure on defenses with your speed and athleticism, how well you get in the paint and you can make passes because I'm still not buying into the shooting right now. I was going to ask you about that because I I agree. I think he's a point guard or at least played as a lead guard at the next level. Uh, But I don't buy in the shooting. And maybe that's just because when I coached against him, when he was younger in high school, that was something that was really, really far away in his game and to see where it was then and where it is now it's, getting a little bit better but it still just feels very far away for me yep and he's gonna have to make another adjustment to the nba line which i think is going to take him some time but yeah i still think he's he's best with the ball in his hands 
All right. So two more here. I'm going to get you out of here real quickly. Uh, first off, Keegan Murray, Iowa. Who man, the numbers are <laughs> impressive. I know they haven't played anybody, but uh, the, I mean, the rebounding, the shot blocking, he's tough to compare. Someone reached out to me and tried to ask me, did I have a comparison? And they thought Obi Toppin. I'm like, he's, he's not as athletic as Toppin. But even though Toppin is way more athletic vertically, Toppin was nowhere near the, the rim protector. Yeah. Um, just has a, a like a unique game to where like he rebounds. He does a lot of his his damage putting the ball on the floor. But you can't say he has like this quick first step. Um, he just I mean, <laughs> it's been fun to watch him. It's been fun to watch him play. I mean, he had a 20 rebound game. So, yeah, I mean, I think that if he can, I mean, he's not really shooting a lot of threes this year, but if he can knock down threes, then I I think that, you know, he's a first round pick. Yeah. Last one here, Nikola Jovic. I like him. Uh, I haven't watched him as much since the season started. I watched a lot of film at the under 19s. Um, You know, just another one of these versatile Serbian players that can dribble, shoot, pass, um, connective tissue. And what, what I like about him that's different than most European prospects is he has the team-centric, you know, I mean, he has the team concept, but he likes to play one-on-one and, and, and try to take over. And usually you don't see, and this is a stereotypical comment, you don't see European prospects where you say, shot selection as a negative sometimes Jovic looks like he's watched a little too much Jason Tatum film (laughs) but I like him I like the competitiveness and um, I like the fact that he does have the mindset to want to take over games so he's a lottery pick for me interesting yeah he's entered the season that way for me I'm kind of up and down on him right now I just want to see how he continues to defend but yep. uh, that's that's what it's for. So, Raphael, really, thank you so much. Staying up late there on your end, still getting adjusted to the time. I'm doing you no favors by having you on the pod here tonight. But before we get at you out of here, please let the people know what you've got going on in your life, where we can continue to stay up with you and, and just how to best stay in touch with you moving forward. Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're like my, my peer slash competitor as far as the YouTube stuff. So it's, it's actually cool to interact with you and get a chance to, you know, do this podcast with you. Um, so once again, thank you. Anytime you want me on, let me know. And I'll definitely be reaching out to you to, um, you know, to have you on my, on my show. Um, but NBA Draft Junkies, NBADraftJunkies.com. I've been um, really working hard on the site, trying to put as much content as possible. I actually have the, the time now, now that I'm here. So, um, so I have a lot of content there. YouTube, definitely doing a lot of YouTube videos. And then I have my podcast on the Locked On Network, which is every Monday and Thursday. So it's Locked On NBA Draft. And you're staying busy. And uh, we are all grateful for it because you're, you're making us smarter and, and better basketball minds. So, Rafael, again, thank you for being here. Enjoy your time over there in Europe and, and best wishes to you. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Have a good one. All right.